In this episode of the St. Philip Institute podcast, Bishop Strickland and I sit down with Father Zachary Dominguez from the Diocese of Tyler, Texas, to talk about three weeks that he spent this past summer at the border in Tijuana, counseling people who are fleeing for their safety from the drug cartels. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Eternal Father, you called St. Philip the Evangelist to open his mouth and beginning with scripture, tell the good news of Jesus Christ. By virtue of our baptism, we too are called to work for the salvation of souls. Instill in our hearts the zeal of St. Philip, that we may convert hearts and minds to your son, Jesus Christ, our Savior, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever, amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Welcome to the St. Philip Institute podcast, where we talk about teaching the Catholic faith and living a life of faith, navigating a life of faith. We're here today with Reverend Zachary Dominguez. He is the chaplain of Bishop Gorman Catholic School here in Tyler, and also serves priestly, priestly ministry at the Cathedral of the Immaculate Conception. Um, Bishop Strickland, the founder of the St. Philip Institute, and me, Stacey Tresankos, are here to talk with Father Zachary about his time in Tijuana at the border. Welcome to the podcast, Father. Thank you, Doctor. Thank you. So tell us a little bit more about yourself. I'm putting you on the spot here, but people watching will want to know, who don't already know all about you, will want to know who is Father Zach. Uh, well, I'm a priest here in the Diocese of Tyler, and um, been here about a year and a half or so. Um, I was formerly a Legionary of Christ, and so I'm here discerning uh, my future here in the diocese. So awesome. that's where I am right now. I was born in San Diego, California, and I grew up in Florida. Okay, both sides of yes, the United yeah, States. <laughs> uh, it's one of the, I, I love hearing your homilies. One mm. of the most remarkable things I ever heard you say that I repeated to all my children at one point or another is when you said um, the greatness of a person is measured by the greatness of the obstacles they overcome. And that's just such a quick message of hope when someone's going through something difficult. Uh, you're known for your for your homilies. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, we you're here today because when we were starting the school year with a teacher workshop for Bishop Gorman, you were giving the homily for the mass that day, and you almost looked like you were in another world, just abruptly running back into this world mm-hmm. of East Texas getting ready for a school year to start and it's almost you almost had that look like someone who's been running really fast and just mm-hmm. stops and it's kind of like um and you said you had just returned from the border and i wanted to hear more about that sure uh so i'm getting my license in counseling and there's a professor that once a year takes a trip to uh some um region of the world that is highly there's a lot of trauma uh, dr keys is his name he's a He's an expert in treating trauma. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, and I had been curious about the board, about what was really going on. You hear so many different stories and news things. And and so when I heard that he was going to Tijuana for the summer for three weeks, I was like, okay, this is what I want to do. I want to go there with him. Um, I had had some training in uh, EMDR, which is a way to treat PTSD in people. And, uh, and so he takes groups of students to go there and to help these traumatized people. And, 
and so that, so that's how I ended up on the trip going mm-hmm. there uh, with with him and on this trip. Yeah. So, what were like? I hear about the border. Um, I don't know. Have you been down to the border, Bishop? No. I mean, most I've been dealing with that is just driving by it um, on the way mm-hmm. on a trip from California or something. But what what is it like down there? Like, describe to us in more detail what your mm-hmm. experience was like. You're, you're, you're interacting with people. What are they going mm-hmm. through? So if you go to visit Tijuana, you don't, as a, a foreigner or a visitor, you wouldn't even notice really. You would see people camped out and things, but you actually don't understand uh, the things that they're going through every day. Mm-hmm. And so you really can't, you don't notice until you start to talk to the people. And so so on this trip, we um, there's, there's different types of immigrants in, in Tijuana right now. So you have uh, people from Honduras. There's a certain region of people, uh, people, a big group from Honduras mm-hmm. there. And what's really interesting is they even separate according to um, places while they're in Tijuana. So all the Hondurians are in one place. There's another group from uh, a lot of uh, people from Michoacan, which is a state in Mexico. Okay. So there's a lot of uh, immigrants coming from there. Um, and there's some Haitians there. The Haitians actually have started to set up shop and started to start businesses and mm-hmm. and you know they just said hey, we'll just start working, <laughs> uh, but most people there's there's one border entrance that was closed and so they were waiting for the border to open, and they were going to rush the border like that's that was their plan, mm-hmm. um, and then uh, so those are the, those are the groups that we met with people living in shelters the tent cities, uh, we went to an orphanage. Uh, and uh, and a lot of the people have PTSD, and they don't and they don't even realize that their children are regressing, you know, their bedwetting and they're reenacting mm-hmm. the violence that they saw. Uh, and, but there's a, there's they're they're all very vulnerable people. So mm-hmm. because they've left their hometowns, the cartels know that they're vulnerable, and mm-hmm. so they can take them, they can kidnap, and they can kill them, and no one will know. And so it's almost like a fish in a tank where the sharks are circling them, and that's how they live. They they're, live, they're, they live in terror. The people on the, on the, uh, in the tent cities that are living in terror, the people in the shelters wouldn't even leave. They wouldn't even walk outside into like the – so you have like 500 people, 500 families all cooped up in one place, and they were, they were afraid to actually like leave the shelter because they're afraid of getting kidnapped and – um, so when you say shelter, Father Zach, yeah. it, is that like a huge kind of warehouse or yeah, what's there's, it look like? Um, yeah, it's like a big warehouse. There's one. There was one uh, pastor who must be getting funded from some a church here in the United States because there's no way that they had the money there to build what they did. They were building. Uh, they turned their church into a huge shelter. Uh, they were building um, a bigger place across you know, the street in, in like in the village mm-hmm. there in Mexico on the border. Um, but it's just a big compound with p- families packed in. So I went to a, went to a Protestant shelter, went to a Catholic shelter, uh, and they're just people packed in, no privacy. Like bathrooms. Are yeah. Just... Bathrooms are just, they're pretty, um, almost like a concert you go to a concert yeah. and it's kind of like the bathroom style and they do their, their best to live with dignity but there's just so many people packed in together that how long did you talk to people that have been there for many months or what's um, the longest yeah i think within a year i think a year people had been been mm-hmm. there uh 
Um, yeah, that time yeah. duration about a year they've been waiting. They're just waiting to get to the border somehow, either through a coyote, which is they call the people that mm-hmm. they pay to take them over. Uh, you know, and some people are just waiting for the border to open. Yeah. To to get asylum, basically. Why not more than a year? Oh, I don't know. I mean, yeah. I I just hadn't met. That's just people, what yeah, you encountered. Yeah, I didn't, mm-hmm. I didn't, I didn't talk to anyone that had been there for two or three years. Mm-hmm. It was so all there's, people. There's within, waiting to yeah, come across within the a years. Okay. Like, is there a story that would stand out for you from one of the families or individuals oh, wow. that you experienced, what they experienced, why they, I mean, to uproot yeah. yourself. I mean, you think about people living right. here to just say we're going to run to Florida. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, that's yeah. a pretty dramatic. Yeah. They had mm-hmm. to be dealing with something dramatic yeah. to, to take that step as a family. Yeah, and that's something that, you know, I guess coming from not until I went to the border, when you look at all the people coming over, you think, oh, they're just trying to get a better life, mm-hmm. right? They're trying to either take advantage mm-hmm. of a system or – but then when I started to talk to the families, you realize – it, it, the people that were coming from Michoacan, there's there's uh, two drug cartels are at war, and they have tended to not hurt the civilians. Like okay. they just tended to kill each other, and fight with each other, and then so everyone just ignores it, and the police let them kill each other. And but what happened in Michoacan is they actually started to steal their children, mm. and um, and one family told me that they the the cartel started to use drones to drop bombs on their their town, like. So they would threaten them and say, "If you don't join us, we'll kill you. We're gonna." And so, so they needed numbers. So it's like yeah. the cartels are conducting a war. Almost. They are, and the goal is to take Tijuana. So the since El Chapo's uh, cartel is El Chapo's gone, there's a fight in Tijuana uh, over Tijuana. And so there's there's a cartel okay. in Michoacan that's building an army to go into Tijuana and take it over. Yes, and so that's why there's a. There's, they're turning on, yeah, there's sex trafficking, drug trafficking, every type of evil you can think of, organs. Mm. There's been stories of, of the families paying the coyotes to take them over. They kill their parents and then they take the children and to sell their organs, this children's organs. Like there's just, there's just great evil. Mm. There's no justice for the people. Uh, so that's Mich- that's Mitchell Khan. There's a lot of the, the two warring cartels are trying okay. to build an army, and the families are just escaping. You talk people with ranch- rancheros, farmers mm-hmm. that are just would live life. They don't want to leave, uh-huh. sure. but They're there's escaping. no one helping. Yeah, there's no one helping them. Basically, the government doesn't help. Uh-huh. The police are just as bad. Uh, so they're running. Yeah, they're they're really fleeing mm-hmm. for their lives, and so uh-huh. that they have created they have PTSD a lot of them, and so that's why and we're they there don't counseling. Know it. Yeah, and they don't they're, know. They're it. just happy to be. They alive. don't know it. They're having night terrors, you yeah. know, and uh, uh, and then Honduras. There's again, there's cartels there that are mm-hmm. extorting people. You know, I, I talked to a lady that she had all these newspapers clippings. Her her um, her father had owned a busing business. And so the cartels start to extort, and they say, mm-hmm. if you don't pay, we're going to kill you. And so they killed her father. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They uh, kidnapped her husband. And so she left with her children, just left Honduras. And with nothing. With nothing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so she was in the shelter. And she had all her paperwork because she wanted to show them to the mm-hmm. to the Border Patrol and saying, look, I'm really fleeing. Mm-hmm. For, uh, for, I'm looking for asylum, asylum, really, really. And so... Uh, but it was just story after story of the cartels with their extortion, with their killing, and 
but a lot of it is just a lot of the families that I met, they were fleeing because they were going to take their kids, their children mm-hmm. for the war. Kind of like the stories you hear in Africa, mm-hmm. those tribes, mm-hmm. they just start to take their children and but turn them into. it's just happening at our border. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Human trafficking. Right. And yeah. All they, and so they just, they're just running. So one thing that uh, a question that comes to mind for me is so people are waiting for an opportunity to go to the border. Mm-hmm. Is that sort of an ongoing, I mean, it sounds like chaos, but yeah. um, is it, I mean, while you were there, you were there for three weeks? Three weeks, yes. Did people make attempts to go to the border? It's funny, I was, uh, the very first day we went to a church service called Church on the Border, <laughs> and the idea was that it was a church that you have people on the American side and then people on the Mexican Tijuana side celebrating you know doing some form of worship while we were there a guy took a ladder hooked it on the fence the border fence jumped up and ran over in the church <laughs> uh, while we were there well it's outside and the helicopters came and like uh it happened tw- actually twice they actually keep the ladder next to the border gate like they have a, a makeshift ladder yeah. that they hook up and then once they look for an opportunity because there's a park like it's called friendship park i think and so what happens is that people, their contacts go to that park and wait. And then if they think the border patrol is not there or they, they, can, they, they jump over, they jump over threes or fours. So maybe one person will get across. But there is. There so the worship constant. service is literally with the border between the people. Yeah, it was yeah. it was uh, it was designed to put emphasis on the border. It, yeah. I think it was more it of a political a thing. Risky. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it's it's. There's a beach there, so it's a mm-hmm. beach and a park. And to be honest, it was a little political. Yeah. It wasn't. It was. A lot, there was more Americans and actually Mexicans at the service, <laughs> and like even on the American side, it was just. I felt really uncomfortable because I, I felt it wasn't really about worship. It was just about politics. And mm-hmm. I can't know. imagine being one of those people on the Mexican side, and what you want so desperately to know you're safe is yeah. right there. Yeah, I mean, there was there's different groups. So most of the Tijuana and Mexicans, they're they don't they're just living their life. Mm-hmm. It's more the ones that are from outside Other of places Tijuana, waiting. Yeah, the Michoacan area, Honduras. Those are the people that are there waiting at the border, trying to get over. But there's just constant flow, which you see on TV of people trying to come over. Yeah. So you were there counseling. These people, did you talk to the children, the parents, Every, anybody? E- everybody. I talked to everybody. I mm-hmm. did some some marriage counseling. Uh, you know, you can imagine trying to maintain a relationship with your mm-hmm. spouse. When, in those conditions. Yeah, and they don't know why they're upset or angry. They, they have all these burdens, and they start to take it out on each other. Mm-hmm. You know, they're angry, they're upset, and so they just start to immediately take it out on their spouse, and that creates a problem. And so... So I had some beautiful moments of just helping people, uh, helping couples, mm-hmm. and then doing some uh, EMDR. It's, uh, What's for, that? It's, it's a, a technique that was developed to uh, uh, help with PTSD. Mm-hmm. So I don't want to get into the whole discussion about what it actually does. Basically, when you experience a trauma, it gets mm-hmm. into your nervous system. Yeah. Uh-huh. And so EMDR is a technique to unlock your nervous system so that you're not constantly reliving in your body mm-hmm. the anxiety the uh, the stress all that it puts them right back in that moment so with a few sessions of emdr you can actually 
keep calm. yeah calm them and they don't yeah. have they don't have PTSD anymore. Yeah. Helps them understand what the trauma did to them. Yeah, it's still doing to them. Right, that they and can kind yeah, of they're like, oh, that. this is what's happening to me, yeah. right? And so you help them on program. This is a technique, and and so I did that with a few. Uh, few people there so yeah because because if i'm right i've heard this before or read it with ptsd you you become addicted to the constant adrenaline rush of Mm -hmm. the trauma like you don't know how to live without constant trauma like yeah well they're living in constant terror there so if i and then when you don't have it you don't know what to do yeah they they, you know they they get traumatized by leaving everything or seeing someone get killed and Mm -hmm. and violence and then when i was in one shelter the night before the cartel had broken into the shelter and were trying trying to get people and so they said they were they were reliving everything they had they they were all packed in the corner as a, these guys with guns came in looking for people it was just you just i don't know what it's like Mm-mm. to feel like you're never safe like well, that messes like that, that, that yeah it messes you up psychologically when you're living in yeah. constant and physiologically yeah, yeah. And so that's the way they're they're living in terror. So, Father Zach, talk a little bit about because you said people living in Tijuana mm-hmm. just have a business or go to work. Yeah. So there is that level of life that you know, sort of a surface norm normalcy. So, did you mm-hmm. get a chance to talk to any of those people and see? Mm-hmm. You know, are, are they basically just trying to ignore these camps or? trying yeah. to help or I guess they're yeah. probably in all sorts of different yeah. places. Yeah, you get you, you see you see everything there. You see people that I was really edified by several people that had that were helping um, people get their papers, people you know, get you know get a lawyer. Uh, so you have those people. You have people that are engaged mm-hmm. and then you have people that are ignoring it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they're in Tijuana. They just hey, it's their burden yeah. and I'm not, I don't I'm want anything to do life. with it, right? You know, or they feel helpless. What can we do? Mm-hmm. I mean, you have thousands of people at the border. Maybe you don't have enough resources mm-hmm. to help for yourself or for them. Uh, you know, so you do have you have everything. You have people helping. You have people not helping. Um, and probably sadly, yeah. people taking advantage of. It. And yeah, and yeah. that's what all of them. Everyone is. You know, there's I would, they're, they're like vultures. Yeah. These vultures mm-hmm. around these people, these these immigrants, Just vultures, literal vultures. Yes, sex trafficking, rape. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. you know, so many people have been, so many women have been raped, and you know, like they're, they're never safe. I had a, I met. She was twenty years old, eight months pregnant, mm-hmm. with her sixteen year old sister, living in a tent, like on the street there, waiting to get to the to border, like. The baby's she, gonna come she had not day. seen a doctor yeah. like you know like what are they doing there and they're living in terror usually like i i was i was trying i was gonna give them money i gave them mm-hmm. money and uh but they were live they were they were so afraid of, of everybody around them you know so uh yeah it was just horrific to realize those people are just constantly being preyed upon if and a woman goes into labor, is there a what does she do? Just well, they'll they'll take them to the hospital. Mm-hmm. It's you know they have like they have a certain amount of socialism mm-hmm. with their their mm-hmm. healthcare, but it's still you know I, you don't want to get talked about like socialized healthcare, but it? it's really bad. <laughs> and in order, I remember you I met some guy, yeah I met some guy that had to find three people to donate blood before he could have a surgery, mm. and he couldn't even donate his own blood. <laughs> so that was part of the. The, mm-hmm. the he could not get surgery unless he find three people to donate blood. Mm-hmm. That was like the payment for his yeah. surgery kind of thing. So, mm-hmm. uh, 
Um, but yeah, I mean, that's just, there's just, con- there's just need, there's vultures all around them and all that. It's kind of a hard question. I'm mm-hmm. curious about, you said they're, they're killing the children for organs. Mm-hmm. What do they do with the organs? Black market. They sell them. In yeah. the United States. Yeah, most, you know, most likely in the United States. Yeah. Mm. So if you're someone on an organ donation list and you need an organ, yeah, they, I don't know. Do how, they get into I, that market, or I mean, you know, there's a black market for organs, <laughs> and okay. the cartels just provide those organs. I and, honestly didn't yeah. realize that. Yeah, I didn't know that. Yeah, there's yeah, there's a black market for everything. The dark okay. web, you can find all of that. So. Okay. And you it's referred not just in books. <laughs> earlier, Father Zach, to you know, like you know, some of the things we've at least read about mm-hmm. or seen stories about in Africa. Mm-hmm. Just this summer, I've, I'm still reading a novel that talks about some of the tribes in Africa mm-hmm. doing very similar things and just coming in and obliterating a village and the people have to flee that and come end up in refugee camps. Right. So, you know, it's uh, I think it's kind of a wake-up call for me, honestly, mm-hmm. and for all of us to, to really realize that's not just happening in Africa. Right. What you're describing very is ex- very much the same sad mm-hmm. human tragedy dynamic mm-hmm. that is going on in too many places in the world. Yeah, and that's something I, I wanted to communicate even when I got back. That yeah. I don't think we realize the the evil that is happening over there. You know the, you know we talk about Hitler and the Nazis and the Holocaust like as something that's yeah. not happening and. The evil is the exact same over there, and it's mm. happening right now, mm. you know. And so it's, how long can you ignore it? And you get it, back from that, and right. here you are back in East right, Texas. Yeah. Let's go back to school. <laughs> right, and there's this huge, you know, there's a war uh, going on. There's and even the the, the government over there in Mexico mm-hmm. is doesn't help. They're part of it, mm-hmm. you know. I mean, you think about the the cartels are making billions of dollars. Yeah. You can pay anybody off. You can't. You can. You're untouchable when you have that kind of money. And, and, so, and sadly, I mean, it's another tough question, but from what I understand, and is this what you witnessed or the, the understanding that was there, that the cartels are supplying drugs to the United States? I yeah. mean, is that primarily yeah. their market? Yeah, and it's interesting. I, when, I, when I came back, I mentioned something at a homily. I just said, I think it was actually to the kids at the high school. I said, there's no such thing as recreational drugs. Like, yeah. there's blood all over that. Yeah. There's there's yeah. there's rape and killing and blood over that little bag of cocaine or weed or whatever else. There's no, there's no recreational anything, mm-hmm. you know. Um, it got here somehow. Yeah, you know, yeah. and so, you know, I, whenever you look yeah. at Hollywood and they're always yeah. trying to, like, call out all this evil, it's like, well, who's having the parties with the drugs? <laughs> you know, it's mm-hmm. like, you, you know, this evil is right there at their – right there in front of them and yeah. they're participating it by giving these people by buying a bag of cocaine you're you're part you're fueling this this evil it's you know? a i mean i won't say good point but mm-hmm. i i appreciate you pointing that out because when you talk to kids about drugs it's always about them and what it'll do right. to you but do you do they realize what mm-hmm. they're participating in right. if they choose to yeah. use those drugs yeah. and i'm reminded of the you know what you hear about the diamonds in Africa, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. blood, you know, blood, blood diamonds. diamonds. Yeah. Uh, it's the same sort of thing that we do have to mm-hmm. be aware of. Yeah, it's just a level of greed, you know, the the narcotics and the evil. Yeah, it's just it fuels all that, and they have they have billions of dollars. Yeah, you know, we were talking before we actually started the the podcast about what do we do, and certainly 
as a bishop, I said, we, we certainly have to pray. Mm-hmm. But one thing that it's not so much something to do, but I think it is an attitude to be reminded of. Um, you know, one thing that I've been asking the St. Philip Institute is to really focus on fasting Mm-hmm. Um, as a spiritual practice. It's an ancient spiritual practice, mm-hmm. even pre-Christian, but it's it's a significant practice. Mm-hmm. And to me, we can learn from that, that what do I really need? Mm-hmm. You know, what, because you're talking about, I mean, a pregnant woman, she yeah. needs very basic things. Mm-hmm. And it, it sounds like that's what a lot of these people are needing there. That's and they're true. fleeing you know, for their lives, mm-hmm. literally, a situation. And I think it, you know, not to to beat ourselves up, but just to remind, be reminded of a simplicity of life and a recognition of, you know, we talk about first world problems. Mm-hmm. And, you know, probably, frankly, I'll just speak for myself. Most of the things that I face that may be mm-hmm. aggravating or may be really difficult are, for the mm-hmm. most part, probably first world problems. We don't mm-hmm. face that existential threat, mm-hmm. you might say, that these people are facing. And I think to at least be more aware of that and to, uh, it, you know, and it, it so easily gets politicized mm-hmm. and, and taken off in different mm-hmm. directions. But I think that's what, as we talk and as I'm listening to some of this, because I'm sure you've got more stories than mm-hmm. we have time to share, but to really let it be a reminder when we're facing something, kind of going back to um, what Dr. Stacy said in, in, from one of your homilies, what the obstacles, the, mm-hmm. the difficult things you overcome, and that's what yeah. you were there mm-hmm. basically helping these people mm-hmm. to overcome tragedy that they didn't ask for, mm-hmm. that just landed mm-hmm. on them, sometimes literally, and... Uh, I think we need to be, you know, use that as just a reminder for ourselves. Yeah, something that I, uh, even when I was talking to the families, uh, listening to their stories, and I was, I was just, you know, giving a presentation to them, and I, and I said, do you realize that you are the holy family? To the, I told them, I said, you're the holy family, just like Jesus had Fleeing. to flee <laughs> because of the death that was awaiting. Um, sorry. They started to cry mm. um, because they they realized like oh we are like the holy family fleeing and um, you God know and, and I think even for our side it's really politicized and both sides to be very honest I don't think really care for those people I think mm-hmm. there's there's one group that tries to make these people see as an enemy or just a burden. Mm-hmm. And then the other side is not actually fixing the problem by giving them justice, you know, because the answer is not just to open up everything, <laughs> right? We know that that's not the answer. The answer is to give these people justice and to conquer the evil that is forcing them to flee. Yeah, you know, absolutely. that's the real answer is to go in and confront the evil. Until someone starts mm-hmm. talking about that, those people do not care about what's going on. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, think of it. Think of it as you. Someone stole yeah. your house. I want is that. the answer to leave? No, yeah. like the answer is like help me get my house back, yeah. <laughs> right? Like and get rid of those yeah, people. Yeah, like that's the answer, not yeah. to just you know open a like no, and they don't want that. They want to actually go and live their life. And even mm-hmm. I mean I don't know psychology, yeah. but I would think even psychologically, 
the greatest healing would be for those people to be able to be back in their home right. and be at peace right. and be safe yeah. and be able to rebuild right. their lives. And that They're probably is, not going to get that. It reminds me of you know what one of the Gospels that I focused on you know a couple of weeks ago. It's impossible for us. I mean, so many things feel impossible, but with God, all things are possible. And, you know, as a Catholic bishop, I think we need to remember what we're talking about is exactly what Christ suffered and died for, to to bring hope and light to those situations, to all the suffering in the world, and to recognize that power, that He is our hope. And you know, it, it can feel hopeless. And I'm sure a lot of those people you talked to were on the verge of hopelessness. Mm-hmm. But, you know, what we have to realize is even those people that you're seeing, they made it out. Mm-hmm. Some people didn't. I mean, you talked about right. some of their family died back mm-hmm. home. Um, probably whole families were gone. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think we, we, we need hope. And, and we have to be reminded that that's what Jesus Christ is about. That's what he suffered and died, to, to bring that hope. And that's the mission of the church, the mission of this diocese, to share his truth. Because it begins to affect all those layers of the people that are turning to drugs. It begins to, to pull them away from that. The people that are, you know, I mean, the the cartels and the people that get pulled into that. I mean, mm-hmm. it's just overwhelming. It's not even a big enough word. But I think we we have to find the hope that Christ brings. Thank you for bringing that. You know, you, maybe you couldn't confront the evil head on, but you were doing it face-to-face with people and meeting them mm-hmm. where they are, which is what <clears throat> evangelization is all about. And thank you. Thank you for doing that, and thank you for taking mm-hmm. time to tell us about it. I know... I will spend time in prayer mm-hmm. for those people. I'll feel like it's not enough, but, and, you know, open to the will of God if there's something that comes in my path in the days ahead that, that we can do mm-hmm. or pray for more and specifically. One of the things, frankly, I think is, is this podcast to, yeah. to make us more aware um, right here in Tyler, Texas, in the Diocese of Tyler, mm-hmm. and whoever's listening to be aware mm-hmm. of, of all of that human reality mm-hmm. and, and to do what we can to yeah. uh, to help you know support that and to be aware of all the the fractured politics that you mm-hmm. know splinters and forgets the people right. from every side. Mm-hmm. All right. So thank you very much, Doctor Stacy and Father me. Zach. And uh, I think it's my job to mm-hmm. offer a blessing. Thank you, Heavenly Father. We ask your blessing for the three of us and for all participating in this podcast, that it may truly be a moment to remember, to turn to your truth and the light your Son brings, to never despair, but to look for the ways that through you and the miracles you work to be more able to live your goodness and to share your truth with others. We ask this blessing in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.